Well, good morning, Keystone. Uh, I would guess several weeks ago uh, that your Christmas celebrations involved a, a certain amount of uh, gift giving and gift receiving at your house. Uh, the same was true at the Kaufman household, where we both gave and received gifts. Uh, my, my son has found kind of a new delight in Legos over the past year, so several of his gifts were Lego sets which is great because I've found a renewed delight in Legos over the past year. So it kind of felt like those gifts were for me as well. Uh, but, but ultimately, one of his gifts created a little bit of a dilemma. Uh, because from one of his great-grandmas, uh, he received a $5 bill, which led to the, the problem or, or the question of what does a four-year-old use a $5 bill on? What does he spend this $5 on? What does he do with it? And and so I gave him a couple ideas. I said, hey, uh, $5, you could probably go buy uh, a new miniature car uh, from the movie Cars, uh, or you could go buy a fishing lure. You might ask, well, why why suggest those two things? Uh, Why not a latte from Latte Love? Uh, why, why not maybe a new shirt from Target? Why, why a miniature plastic car or a fishing lure? Well, because those are, those are two things that my son is excited about right now, that he's passionate about in this stage of life, the movie Cars uh, and fishing. And so he ultimately decided to go with the fishing lure. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not as passionate about fishing, uh, and so I have no idea what type of fish this lure is supposed to catch, uh, or really how to use it, uh, but don't, don't tell him that yet. Uh, h- how my son used his $5, though, reveals something that's true of every single one of us and every single human being, that we spend our money or how we spend our money reveals what we are passionate about. How we spend our money reveals what we are passionate about and what we are passionate about affects how we spend our money. So this is why in a series on the book of Psalms, which is what we're doing through the month of January, looking at different Psalms, a a, a book that really has at its center a passion or heartbeat for God and for his glory, we're doing a sermon on generosity. Because we, we might see that a passion for God will ultimately translate into a passion for generosity. A a passion for generosity can apply to all sorts of different areas of our lives. It it can apply to how we use our time. It can apply to how we use our talents, what we're skilled at. It it can apply to how we use all of our material goods. But, But this morning, as we talk about this, I'm really going to focus in on a passion for generosity with our finances while hoping that's what's said applies more broadly to all those other areas. And I want to start off this morning, before even getting into our big idea or or the the main passage we'll look at, which is Psalm 112, if you want to open up there, uh, by offering two statements that kind of set the course for this morning, I hope. These are two statements that are rooted in Scripture and, and two statements that I think should always affect how we approach talking about money and generosity. And so here's the the first of the two statements. 
God cares far more about our hearts than he does about our money. God cares far more about our hearts than he does about our money. We, we can actually find this truth demonstrated in Psalm 50, verses 7 through 15. In Psalm 50, we find God confronting his people because though they are offering sacrifices to God, animal sacrifices, which is the form of currency and wealth at that time, though they are doing that, their hearts remain distant or far or cold from God. And, and so he says to his people in Psalm 50, not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. We, we could translate in that into our times by having God say, I don't need your money because the world and all its wealth and riches belongs to me. And then he goes on to say in that psalm, offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Or in other words, offer to me your heart and yourself. That's what I'm after. Now, I I put this statement out there out front because there's a tendency in some people to think all God cares about and all the church cares about is your money. And that simply is not true of God, and it shouldn't be true of the church. But we then have to recognize statement number two, which is just as much rooted in Scripture. God cares about our money because it reveals our hearts. How we think about, how we feel about, And how we handle and use our money, perhaps more than anything else, reveals what's inside of our hearts. What we love, what we cherish, what we honor, what we're passionate about. And so in Malachi 1, we find verses that on the surface appear to contradict almost what is said in Psalm 50. Because in that passage, God does rebuke his people for the sacrifices they're bringing him. Because they're bringing him lame, sick, and blind animals rather than the best of their flock. And God's reason for rebuking them is that how they're handling their animals, the the currency of their wealth, reveals hearts that do not truly love God, honor God, or worship God as they should. So in one place, God says, I I don't care about your sacrifices. What I want is your heart. And another place, God says, "I, I care about your sacrifices because they are revealing what's in your heart. This is why the Bible talks so often about money. It's why Jesus talks about it more than almost anything else he talks about if you read through the Gospels. It's why as a church, we must talk about money. We don't talk about money and generosity because we want to have bigger budgets or bigger buildings or more staff or whatever other reason. If we do, we're not reflecting God but we must talk about money because we want to be a people who are passionate about God and how we handle our money reveals in our hearts what we are passionate about and what we truly believe about God. Or or here's how we'll put it with the big idea this morning. What we believe about God in our heart will affect what we do with the money in our hands. 
What we believe about God in our heart will affect what we do with any money that is in our possession or really all of our material possessions. And and I worded the big idea in a specific way because it's not just what we know about God in our heads. It's not just what we confess we believe about him with our mouth, but it's what we really believe day by day by day about him that will shape and ultimately be revealed in how we handle and use our money. So, so this morning, here, here's where we're going with all this. We're going to look at Psalm 112. And in this psalm, we're going to seek to draw out four beliefs about God that should cause us to be joyfully generous with our money and all our resources. And then we'll close this morning with two applications out of all of that. So let me pray for us, and then we'll read together in Psalm 112. Father, we come to you believing that all we have ultimately is yours. Believing that that you've been so good and so generous to us. Or wanting to believe that if if we maybe are struggling to believe that this morning. God, we, we pray that as we open up your word, look at Psalm 112, talk about generosity, that that even as maybe you might step on our toes, you might do it in such a way where our eyes and our minds and our hearts see you, see how good you are, see how awesome you are, and so are transformed in the process. God, I I pray for your Holy Spirit to speak to us as we need him to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 112. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who greatly delights in his commandments. His offspring will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness endures forever. Light dawns in the darkness for the upright. He is gracious, merciful, and righteous. It is well with a man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He is distributed freely. He is given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. The wicked man sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. The psalm opens by talking about the person who fears the Lord and and then is ultimately going to describe what that person looks like or, or how they live, especially focusing in on a type of generosity that this person displays as a result of their fear of the Lord or belief in him. And the first thing that we might see is that generosity flows from a heart that believes all we have belongs to God. Generosity flows from a heart that believes all we have belongs to God. Verses two through three speak about the blessing God gives to the one who fears him. To to fear God is ultimately to relate to him rightly It's to know him as the creator, the redeemer, and the provider of all that we have. It's to know him as great and holy and awesome 
and at the same time to know him as good and gracious and faithful. Now, the, the danger, I think, for us when we read these first verses is for us to say, okay, if I fear God and I obey his commandments, then God will make everything go well for me in my life, right? He'll give me wealth and he'll give me the greatest children the world has known, right? I do this, God will do that. We should recognize there, there is a principle kind of in this psalm and in all the wisdom literature, which is what this psalm is. It's a wisdom psalm. This principle that God loves to bless the people who fear him, but it's not a promise. It's just a principle. And the other thing we need to see is that, that it's offering instruction to us on how a person who fears God views everything he or she has in this life. So children, money, material things, and everything else we have is ultimately a gift from God. This person has children and has wealth and has whatever else is described because God has chosen to give that to him or her. And it all ultimately belongs to him. Now, I, I would guess on the surface, most of us agree with that statement, that all we have belongs to God and everything we have is a gift from him. But here's, here's where kind of the rubber meets the road. Does how we think about, feel about, and use our money reflect that that's actually what we believe in our hearts or just a truth we pay lip service to? Here's, here's maybe a, an illustration to, to help with that truth. Imagine for a moment that um, as you're walking out today, out of church, and you get to the parking lot, and, and you're getting close to your car, you come upon your car, and, and next to your car, you find a wallet laying on the ground. And you, you pick it up, and you open it up, and, and you see the ID, in, the ID in it, and you know, okay, that's not my ID, that's, this is someone else's. And immediately say, this is someone else's wallet. Well, what you actually do with that wallet or what I actually do with that wallet and everything in it reveals whether I really believe it's someone else's wallet or if I think, uh, it's actually mine to use however I want, right? Like if I seek that person out to say, what do you want me to do with the wallet? Here, it's yours. You, you take it back. Then it shows I really do believe it's all theirs. But, but if I start to take the money and, and spend it how I want and, and maybe charge things to the cards in the wallet and say, well, maybe one day I'll get it back to them, then it reveals no matter what I say, Ultimately, I think it's mine to use however I want to use. In the same way, how we view and use the resources we have will ultimately reveal whether we think all of it, all of it, every last penny and ounce of it belongs to God, or if secretly we think, no, it's actually mine. Or, or may, may, maybe I think, well, 10% belongs to him, but the rest of it, that's mine to do with it whatever I want. See, there's this, there's this tendency in, I think, all of our hearts to believe one of two things about what we have or don't have. The first is this, that I have what I have because I earned it, because I worked hard for it. And, and, and don't hear me wrong, I believe God blesses hard work, and that's one of the means that he uses to provide for us. But why can we work in the first place? Because God's given us health and gifts and things that we can do to be able to make money. See, all we have is not because we've earned it, but because God has chosen to give it to us. Or, or the other belief might be, I'm owed more than what I actually do have. Right? That, that if we feel like we don't have much material resources or much money, we might start to think, 
that's because life has not treated me fairly or because God has not treated me fairly. And so I'm owed more than what I do have. A heart that believes I've earned what I have or I'm owed more than what I have will not be a heart that's ultimately generous. But a heart that believes every single thing I have is a undeserved gift from God and it belongs all to him will be a heart that's more and more amazed and that first of all I ask God, God, what do you want me to do with it? All of it. How do you want me to use it? How do you want me to handle it? How do you want me to be generous? Which leads to the second belief. Generosity flows from a heart that believes God blesses us so that we can bless others. There, there are several reasons in the Bible, I think, why God gives us the resources, especially the finances we have. One is so that we might provide for ourselves and provide for our families. Two is so that we might enjoy God's good gifts and see his goodness in providing for us. And then three is so that we might bless other people through what God has given to us. And ultimately, this psalm focuses on that third reason, especially in verses 4 and 5 and 9. It emphasizes that God gives us what we have so that we can be a blessing to other people. There's some debate about how verse 4 should be translated. You can look back at it in your Bibles if you want, but I think that the ESV gets it wrong, and a lot of translations get it wrong, that it actually seems like it should be translated he speaking of the person who fears the Lord, he will rise as a light in the darkness for the upright runs. He is gracious, compassionate, and just. Or in other words, that the person who fears the Lord will use what he has, his resources, his money, or her resources, her, her money, to be a light in the darkness, which then ties in with what verse 5 says, where it says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. I love the word picture of verse 4, if that's actually how we should translate it, which I think it is. Because it's a picture of what God can do with our money when we give generously. That it can actually end up being a light in the darkness. Man, that's a privilege for us to be able to use our money in that way. One of the ways that we might be a light in the darkness is to give generously to those who are facing some sort of difficulty or crisis in their life, whether financial crisis, health crisis, or some other crisis. This is one of the reasons that Keystone uh, creates certain funds at times, so that we can give generously to those who may be facing some sort of darkness and provide tangible light in the midst of that. This is where all the money that you might give to the Compassion Fund at Keystone ultimately goes to be a light in the darkness to those who are facing difficulty in this life. What an incredible privilege that God would choose to use our money in that way to help other people as they face some sort of darkness or crisis or to use other people's money to help us when we face those type of things. Another way that we might be light in the darkness is to give generously to advance the gospel through missions and missionaries. Like the, the gospel, we, we believe the gospel is the news, the power that takes people from the domain of darkness 
into the kingdom of light. What an incredible privilege that God would choose to use our money as his means of accomplishing that in people's lives. That's awesome. Another way that we might be light in the darkness is to give money to the local church because the local church is the institution that God uses to advance his kingdom in this world. The primary institution uses to advance his kingdom, to be a light in the darkness through its mission and ministry and people. What, what a privilege that God would use our money to advance his kingdom through the local church. See, ver- verses four and five show us God blesses us so that we might turn around and be a blessing to other people to advance his kingdom, to be light in the darkness. And by virtue then, if we refuse to be generous with what we have and keep it to ourselves or just spend it on ourselves, it stunts one of the very purposes for, which, for why God gives us money in the first place. One of the, the Christmas gifts that I received uh, this two weeks ago was new slippers from my wife. I'd asked for slippers uh, because I don't like putting socks on in the morning when I get out of bed, but then I walk out into our living room and my feet are cold, and so I want slippers that I can put on easily when I wake up in the morning and go out into our living room. Now, imagine for a moment that I opened up that box, pulled out those slippers, and then immediately proceeded to take them, put them in a drawer, shut that drawer, and never open it up again. Eventually, my wife's going to ask me, Kyle, why, why did I buy you slippers in the first place? They're meant to be worn. They're meant to be used. I bought them so that you might wear them out. I didn't buy them so that you can simply put them away in a drawer and leave them there. In the same way, God does not give us things, finances, resources, everything we have, so that we can simply keep it to ourselves or spend it on ourselves. And and don't hear me wrong, I I think it's okay for us to save money. We're going to talk about it in a minute. I think it's okay for us to spend money on good things, but one of the primary purposes why God gives us money and all our resources is to be able to bless other people, to have the privilege of blessing other people. Here's how Randy Alcorn puts it. He puts it, I think, far better than I can. God prospers us to raise not our standard of living, but our standard of giving. God prospers us to raise not our standard of living, but our standard of giving. Does the standard of generosity in my life and in your life truly reflect that? Does how we handle raises, influx of income, generous gifts reflect that? Like, I I confess far too often when when I get some more money, whether it's a raise or or whether it's a gift from someone else, my first question is, how can I save this or spend this? That's what I'm thinking about. Rather than how might God actually want to use this to bless someone else? Because I'm far more prone to recognize money's good for saving and spending than I am to recognize it's good for blessing other people. And that's why God gives me it. As we move on to verses 6 and 8, it seems like they're shifting gears. It seems like they're shifting from talking about a person who is generous and gives away to, to a person who, who is trusting God for the future. 
But we have to see these two things connect completely together, completely together. Because generosity flows from a heart that believes God will take care of us. Verses six through eight describe someone, you can look back at them, describe someone who is not easily moved, who is steady, who is not afraid of bad news, who is not afraid of the future. Why? The answer is given in the end of verse 7. Because his heart is firm, trusting in the Lord. In other words, as a person looks out at the future and contemplates, how do I know I'm going to be okay if the worst happens? The answer is, for the person who fears the Lord, because God will take care of me, and he is with me no matter what. Where we look to for our security in the future will directly affect our ability to be generous in the present. If we look to money as our security for the future, it will hinder our ability to be generous in the present. But if we look to God as our security for the future, it will free us to be generous in the present. This is part of what Hebrews 13, 5 through 6 is getting at. It's talking a little bit more about being content with what we have, but the same thing applies to the idea of being generous. The author says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Several years ago, uh, at the beginning of COVID, there was something really odd that happened. Do, do you remember what it was? You retired? That wasn't it. Toilet paper all of a sudden became a hot commodity. Do you remember this? Like all of a sudden, we are storing up on toilet paper like it's gold. We're, we're filling up closets, bunkers, bedrooms with toilet paper. What, why? because there's this rumor that there's this toilet paper shortage or will be as a result of COVID. And so the fear of running out of toilet paper all of a sudden caused us to store up on toilet paper thinking if I've got enough, then I don't have to be worried about any shortages that might come as a result of COVID. Now that's an absurd example that reveals what every single one of our hearts is tempted to do with money and finances. Because for each of us, there are certain scenarios we might fear in the future. Perhaps it's, it's like a worst-case scenario. Losing a job, a health crisis, the economy collapsing, running out of money as we retire. Or, or maybe it's just lesser fears of little things that go wrong that we might need money for. And the problem is, or, or a great danger of money is, that in the face of those fears, we start to say or think to ourselves, as long as I have blank amount of money, I'll be okay. And the problem is that if our security is in our money, it will hinder us from being generous in the present. And not only that, but if our security is in our money, it reveals it's not in God. And it shows what, what our true God is. This is a danger of emergency funds, retirement accounts, savings accounts, and investments. 
And I say that as someone who's in favor of all of those things. Like, I think they're really wise. My, my wife and I have an emergency savings account, and, and I think it's a really wise thing, and I, I would recommend it to anyone, but, but man, man, here's the, the danger for me. How often I'm prone to think, I'll be okay because I have enough in this account, which then leads me to think, well, well, I need just a little bit more in this account so that I can be okay, which then leads me to think, well, I'm not going to give this money away right now because I'm being wise in planning for the future. But when we truly deep down believe that God is our security and he will take care of us no matter what comes our way, it frees us to be generous even in a generous in a way where other people might think we're being reckless and unwise. That's a really tough line. That's a really tough line to walk. Here's, here's my point in bringing that up. We need to wrestle with that line. We, we should be asking frequently, am I trusting God for the future or am I trusting my money for the future? And does my generosity reflect that my trust is ultimately in God and not in money? I mean, if we're asking that question, it's good because it means we're wrestling with it. But when we stop to ask that question, it's a problem because the truth is we're not wrestling with it when we probably should be more often. Our, our belief about what will keep us secure in the future affects our ability to be generous in the present. And so does our belief about what lasts into the future. Generosity flows from a heart that believes money fades but God's kingdom remains, and you could tag on there forever. Verses 9 and 10 give us a comparison between someone who fears the Lord and so uses his or her money generously in the present with an eye towards the future reward versus someone who seeks to gain everything they can in this world and ends up losing out on the future. And so the former person is described in this way. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. This person gives generously, believing it's actually storing up a greater reward than spending money on things that he or she might gain in this world primarily. And then we read of the, the other person in verse 10. The wicked sees it and is angry. He gnashes his teeth and melts away. The desire of the wicked will perish. That in the end, this person sees it's actually the generous who were right all along and who prosper in the end. Maybe not in this life, but into eternity. And it's the desire of this person who perishes because their desire was ultimately for what could be gained in this world. And when it all fades, so does their desire with it. This is, I think, the psalm equivalent of what Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Here's how I think we can capture that actually. Generously giving away our money and other resources to advance God's kingdom is actually the best investment we could make with our money. Generously giving away our finances to advance God's kingdom is actually the best investment we could make with our finances and money because it's a way of us saying, I'm going to invest in what truly matters. 
and will last forever, rather than using my money on what will fade. I I did some calculations this past week, trying to figure out um, how much money would have my son gained if he invested that $5, right? And so if he invested that $5 uh, and he made 10% annually for the next 50 years, uh, thank you, Dave Ramsey, for causing me to think in that way, uh, he, he would eventually, 50 years from now, have $600, which adjusting for inflation should be just about enough for a tank of gas, I think, for him in those days. Now, now obviously, that's, that's a little ridiculous. But think with me. What if every time my son got money, he went and bought a new fishing lure? Every time. $5, new fishing lure. $10, new fishing lure. $20, new fishing lures. First paycheck, new fishing lures. Over and over and over again. In the end, my son would end up with a whole lot of fishing lures when he could have ended up with something far better. The the same thing is true of us. It's not bad for us to spend money on things in this life nor is it bad for us to seek to be wise in saving money. But if that's the only way, or, or even the primary way we use our finances, we're actually making a bad investment. And along the way, we're showing that our treasure is this world and what it offers rather than God and what he offers. But if we generously give away our money, then we show time and time again, God and what he offers is my greatest treasure And this world and what it offers can fade away, can fade away. Because we're investing in our eternal joy and God's eternal glory. And there's no, no better investment you and I can make with our money than that. Now, all those truths lead to two applications. Probably more than that, but I'm just going to give two applications. Here's the first one. Appraise your giving. I should say appraise our giving because this applies so, so much to me. First of all, plan for how we might give regularly. I I think a new year is a good time for us to evaluate our generosity and our giving. To first of all, ask who and what does God want me to give to in the coming year? Where does he want me to prioritize giving money away? So so here's how uh, our household does that. Just as an example, it's not perfect at all, but, but just as an example, here's how we kind of approach it. The, the largest percentage that, that we end up giving away goes to the, the church. And the reason for that is because I believe the Bible teaches that the church is the primary means God uses to advance his kingdom in this world and into eternity. And so I want to be a part of that because I think that's an incredible privilege that God enables me to be a part of that. The, the second percentage then goes to specifically to missions and missionaries b- because I want to be a part of what God is doing in taking the gospel to the nations and reaching people who've never heard the gospel before. What a privilege it is to get to be a part, part of that. And then the final percentage goes to other organizations or causes that my wife and I want, want to give to. So that's just one way of approaching it. There are, there are other ways. I'm just giving that as an example. Then another question for us might be, can I give more this year or does God want me to give more this year? Here's a danger I found in my own heart or in myself. That in a day and age where so much, if not all of our giving, is automated. And what I mean by that is it comes directly out of the bank account and goes directly to whatever we're giving to month after month after month. Is that it can enable me to become complacent. That I don't stop to evaluate, does God want me to give more? 
has he blessed me so that I, I can give more in this area? I, I, I was convicted of this a couple years ago when Brandon was preaching on greed one Sunday. I, think, I, I don't evaluate my giving. I, I become complacent just because it's automatically coming out. And I think it's a good question for us to ask as a new year approaches. And so p- part of what my wife and I will do this week is, is we'll sit down, we'll talk through our giving, and, and we'll kind of ask that question. Does God want us to give more or to give to different places? And you, you can hold me accountable to that, asking me about that next week, uh, as long as baby doesn't come this week and I'm here next Sunday. Uh, but I would encourage you, do, do the same. Do, do this as well. I, I included three articles in the notes. Uh, one's just directed more generally to anybody uh, in setting wise financial goals and, and being generous. The, the second one's directed towards uh, married couples and how do you talk about and think about giving together. And then the third one is directed to people who are approaching retirement or in retirement thinking about how to give generously in retirement and beyond. So plan for how you will give regularly. Plan for how you can give spontaneously. God will bring needs up throughout the year that that he might want us to give to. And and so to have a plan for, okay, am I going to give those needs? Maybe I have a a set of, or an amount of money set aside that's for spontaneous giving, whatever it might be. And then, then thirdly, plan for how you can give sacrificially. One of the great ways we show that our joy and confidence is in God and not in money is by giving sacrificially. And that doesn't necessarily apply to the amount that we're giving, although it might. It more applies to where do we have to give up or forego something else in order to give money away. You want to know what some of the hardest money is for me to give away? My spending money. Every month, my wife and I go to the ATM, we pull a certain amount of cash out, we divide it up, and that's our spending money for the month. And it's, it's kind of ours. You, you can spend it however you want. Like, like if I go and I buy Legos and she goes and she buys clothes, no question to ask. That's your spending money. But there have been times where I felt prompted to, to give a little bit of that away, even if it's just 10 or $20. And like my heart does something in that moment. We're like, no, this is mine. I'm not giving away. Or if I do, I play tricks. And I think, okay, I'll give away $20, but I'm going straight to the ATM, taking $20 back out, and that money's coming out of our clothing budget. Because I know if I give away my spending money, then I have to give up something that I was going to spend that on in the first place. That's hard, no matter what amount of money it might be. And so we ask, where, where might God want us to give sacrificially? Because I think where we do, it's a great reflection of the gospel, which leads to the, the second application. Praise your giving and adore your God. There there are two interesting parts of Psalm 112 that that I didn't point out yet this morning. And here's the first one. It's meant to be a companion psalm to Psalm 111. Psalm 111 is all about adoring and admiring God for how great he is and his works. And primarily, it's about remembering and rejoicing in all he's done to save and bless his people. And then Psalm 112 which is set up almost identical to Psalm 111 and uses many of the similar words. It says that the person who adores God will then be the person who gives generously. See, Psalm 111 is to Psalm 112 what the sun is to the moon. The, the, the moon takes in the light of the sun and then reflects it to the world. And in the same way, we're meant to adore and take in the goodness of God and then reflect his goodness to the world. And one of the big ways we do that is to adore him for his generosity. Because here's the second thing about Psalm 112. Paul quotes this psalm in 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, 
which is sort of like the Magna Carta on giving in the Bible. And part of what Paul's main goal is in those passages or in those chapters as he tries to encourage God's people to be generous is to fixate our eyes on the generosity of God, primarily through the gospel and what God has given us in Christ. And so some of the most fam- or one of the most famous verse in those passages is 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 where it says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, infinitely rich, yet for your sake and my sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The, the more we admire and fixate on how generous God has been to us, primarily through the gospel, in giving up his only son, not even withholding his son from us, in Jesus, giving up the riches of heaven to become poor so that we might become rich in him. The more we get amazed at that, the more our hearts desire to reflect him in living generously. As a middle schooler, I wanted to be good at playing basketball. And do you know why I wanted to be good at playing basketball? Because at that time, I watched Allen Iverson play basketball. I watched Allen Iverson play basketball on the TV over and over and over again. And I was in awe of what he did on the court, and it left me then wanting to imitate him when I stepped out on the court. Allen Iverson had this incredible crossover. So seventh grade Kyle practiced his crossover back and forth, back and forth. Allen Iverson had this fadeaway shot, so I practiced my fadeaway shot. Allen Iverson did these incredibly ridiculous layups, so I tried crazy layups. Allen Iverson wore a headband, so I wore a headband. See, the, the, the more that I watched and was in awe of what Allen Iverson could, be on, could do on the basketball court, the more I wanted to imitate him every single time I stepped on the court. And here's the reality. Seventh grade Kyle never got anywhere close to actually imitating Allen Iverson. But, but I, I hope that in some small way, my game reflected his game. The same reality is true of us as we're called to be generous. That we should admire and ponder and be amazed at the generosity of our God. And the more that we are, the more we then long to be like him and generously giving our resources away. We will never get close, anywhere close, to being as generous to others as God is to us. That's part of the beauty of the gospel. You and I can't outgive him. We can't outgenerosity him. He'll always give us more than we can give away. But in a very small and faint way, as we give up goods and kindred, we reflect the God who gives up goods generously to us and his son for our salvation. Let's pray. Father, we worship you, praising you for being the one who gives us all we have. The one who, when we have eyes to see it, is so, so incredibly generous. Whether that's in providing for our needs day by day, or or ultimately in providing for our salvation, forgiving us of our sins, offering us eternal life through the great infinite cost of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. God, help me help all of us to be people who have the gospel sink down into our hearts in such a way where we admire more and more all that Christ sacrificed 
to save us, that then we might be free to have hands that gladly, joyfully sacrifice and give up our wealth for the good of other people and the good of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.